this week to open Season 2 of the Saber.com podcast, a look at the preseason voting for the Virginia football team, Trey Murphy's stock in this week's NBA draft, and a little-known fact about a 1982 UVA football game. Let's go. The online source for the serious Wahoo fan, thesaber.com. And it is time once again for the uh, new season, if you will, of the Saber.com podcast. Jeff Sweatman, your host, joined by editor Chris Wright, associate editor Chris Horn. We discuss everything, who's sports, and this time of year, we're talking football, a little bit of basketball with the uh, NBA draft on the horizon, and some recruiting news on both fronts. And uh, we got to talk about this uh, conference realignment and teams switching around possibly and uh, things like that, too. We'll get into all of that here. But uh, first off, guys, preseason predictions and the the ACC media day has happened. So what are your impressions? I guess the Hoos are picked, what, fifth preseason in the uh, the Coastal? It seems about right. You know, I guess I'm supposed to rant and be contrarian because we're a Virginia website, but that seems about right based on kind of what we know, right? So Virginia has not been very good on the road in the ACC under Bronco Mendenhall, five and 15, I think. They play the teams ranked ahead of them in those preseason predictions on the road. They're at North Carolina, they're at Miami. Yeah, so those two are on the road. Virginia Tech being ahead of them, they've only beaten them once in six trillion tries or whatever the stupid number is. So they, it's way too high, whatever the number is. So if you're picking it, you know, a media member sitting there filling out your ballot, I think it's pretty easy to see why you would have picked those three ahead of ahead of Virginia. And then Pitt, they've only beaten once in the Bronco Mendenhall era as well. So that's the fourth team. And that game is also on the road. It's kind of like, all right, I get it. <laughs> I get it. A ton well, of returning to- quarterbacks in the ACC too. So just because yeah, Virginia yeah. has a returning quarterback, so does everybody else, it seems like. So yeah, it seems about right. Well, and just to clarify, you two weren't the two votes for UVA to win the Coastal, right? Definitely not. I always think these polls are, are just goofy because ultimately yeah. it comes down to who – who can consistently string things together, but yeah, no, definitely not us voting. And, and one vote for the overall ACC title also was not us. <laughs> I have no idea who that was. I have not seen them uh, on our message board or on social media be like, Hey, thanks, man. <laughs> no one's claiming credit for that one yet. Right. No, no one's taking credit, but if they win in December, that person will be waving the flag. I'm sure. Yeah. What do you think Chris Horn? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I agree with Chris. I, I mean, I think the coastal feels like it kind of always feels, which is it's kind of up for grabs, and there are numerous teams, you know, maybe outside of outside of Georgia Tech and Duke for me that can that can rise uh, rise to the occasion and get hot at the right time, and and uh, you know, who knows, turn in uh, or maybe actually be consistent uh, throughout the whole season. I mean, you know, North Carolina, you know, certainly seems more well-rounded this year uh, coming in, uh, coming into the season. And, you know, they return, you know, the top quarterback in in the conference, I think, and and Sam Howell. And they, you know, continue to have good offensive weapons. So if that defense can take a step forward, you know, obviously they're good. But, you know, I don't get the sense that they're unbeatable. And I don't get a sense about that with Miami or Virginia Tech or Pitt or Virginia. So I think each, well, for me, each one of these teams, you know, I think it kind of wouldn't really necessarily surprise me either way. Um, you know, I think they'll all be, it'll be kind of a typical coastal year um, for me. You know, so I, I, I agree pretty much with, with everything Chris said as far as uh, that. I think I think it's a pretty, pretty, Accurate preseason poll. I think goofy can be a, a, the right word for these kinds of polls. And it, but but you know when when I'm looking at Virginia, you know definitely some question marks. I mean the road record. You know Virginia also goes on the road at Louisville where they haven't had success there either. So they're going to have to really step it up on the road. You know obviously the offense is looking just from a general perspective. The offense looks like it has some talent even with Lavelle Davis Jr. sidelined. But the defense certainly has some questions, has some big playmakers to to replace, and and certainly the secondary is is something we've talked about a lot. So uh, definitely with Virginia, I think I think the talent's there for for Virginia to to make a run. But again, uh, you know, it's definitely not something that's set in stone for me. Just to a reminder, right? Since last year was not a division year because of the pandemic, no divisions thing. Virginia is the reigning coastal champion, but seven years in a row all each of the different seven coastal teams won it (laughs) so yeah i mean i don't know how you pick who you pick in the coastal 
yes, there seems to be a favorite. Virginia was the favorite in 2019 and, and followed through on that. But six of the seven, Duke's the only one that did not get a first place coastal vote. So the media doesn't really know what to make of the coastal. They just, it, it's topsy turvy every year. And it doesn't take much for it to, to get jumbled in the middle. What we do know is that typically the winner ends up being six and two or better. That's happened almost every year the Coastal Division has existed. I think there's two years that has not happened. Every other time, you got to go at least six and two. So you kind of know what the barometer is. You just don't know who's going to hit it. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But Virginia's going to find out early. You know, I'm doing this 50 thoughts before kickoff, and, and Chris is contributing as well. But the one that I wrote about this topic, specifically, can Virginia beat the media prediction? The jumble in the middle, they've been tied a bunch of years. You know what I mean? Like, so, so that's part of it. But Virginia's going to find out quick. They play three-fourths of their conference schedule before the end of October because they've got two Notre Dame-BYU, two non-conference games as part of their November schedule. They're going to know if they're in the race or not before Halloween. (laughs) So we'll we'll know pretty quickly what Virginia's fate is because if they lose three games before then, in all likelihood, you're out of the coastal race because historically you need to go six and two or better. So so we'll know pretty fast. And three of the first four are on the road. Yeah, two things I wanted to mention there – I agree with what you said in that article, Chris, about the North Carolina game. It's huge. And the Miami game, just huge being on the road. Those two being kind of the favorites, if you will. And it was interesting. That article inspired me to go back. So past 20 years from Algro to now only five times has UVA won five plus ACC games and three of those five were under Algro. <laughs> so <laughs> That was eye-opening for me because I feel like, and maybe this is just my UVA fandom, I feel like there's momentum building and I feel like Bronco's really building the culture and he and he's finally, you know, got the players in the system and everything in place like he wants it. And but it it's getting to that point. He's been here long enough to now. Do you guys feel like in some ways this is sort of these next couple of years are where the rubber meets the road? I mean, Chris Horn, what what's your take on that magic number of like five or six ACC wins. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, well, I mean, I think the future seems so bright and then last year happened, which last year was difficult for everyone, but it'll be interesting to see how last season affect affects the team uh, as far as from a confidence standpoint, moving forward. Now they seem, you know, they're saying all the right things, I think, and they certainly seem, seem confident, but you know, five and five record, uh, you know, didn't end well with a, a bad loss at Virginia Tech. So that kind of seemed like to me, like it took a little bit of wind out of the sails. Now, you know, is the team going to be able to maybe say, kind of chalk it up to, you know, the the COVID year, I guess, and say it was kind of just, a, you know, was, was that just kind of an aberration or, or are we still on the right track? So I think, um, yeah, it, the reason why for me it's going to be so important, as Chris mentioned, the North Carolina game. But after William and Mary in Illinois to start the season, you know, North Carolina, a place Virginia's had success uh, on the road at one of the one of the few places in the Mendenhall era where they've had success on the road. So, but obviously the the preseason favorite that's going to be big. Wake Forest is a team they've struggled with in terms of they haven't played much, but they haven't been able to. Uh, defeat, I believe, Wake Forest uh, in the Mendenhall era. And then at Miami is a place where Virginia struggled as well. At Louisville, I mentioned earlier, is a place where uh, they haven't been able to, to get a win either, I don't think. So, you know, those those games, I think, if they can, if they can come through and, and win some of those games, I think then the confidence, I think, is definitely going to be there and hopefully spark this team to a really what could be a really, really good season if they can put things together. But, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting for me to see the, the kind of mental state and the confidence state, uh, state of this team um, early on, the first five or six games of the season. And, uh, and then, obviously, we'll see um, – uh, what what the, what they can do again? I think it's going to be so important for them to get confidence, and then you know we'll just have to see again. Hopefully they can get back on track and uh, at least you know be in the hunt for the coastal championship. I think coming into November, I think that's going to be important, and then then I'll kind of feel still feel like we're we're on the right track. I think, but would definitely like to see the defense take a step forward and and uh, uh, this season, and uh, you know that's I think that is going to be what what could ultimately dis- determine the fate of this team is, is how good they are on defense. So, and that's, that's coach Mendenhall's calling card. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a legitimate question to, to wonder, 
you know, if Virginia is still on the right path, right track that they were hoping to or hoping to be on uh, following, you know, a, again, a five and five season, a really difficult year for everybody for a lot of reasons. So we'll we'll see, though. But again, I think that's the first the first half of the season is going to put Virginia to the test and they can pass that test. I think they could uh, really get back on that right track. When I looked it up while you were talking there, uh, Chris, current win streak, four games uh, that covers 2008 to 2024 Wake Forest. So as Chris Wright, you probably knew that off the top of your head, but does that sound right? They've won four in a row dating back 12 years. Wake Forest has won four in a row. Yeah. That sounds right because I know that they've lost twice under Coach Mendenhall to Wake because Kurt Binkert and that group played down there as well. So those are both road games. And then I vaguely remember in the – or the late 2000s, right? They, they, Wake Forest kicker missed a field goal. That's the last time I remember them beating Wake. So that sounds right. But this is the, this is the whole conference realignment thing. You don't play some people and you lose track of how the series goes because there's these five year gaps, six year yeah. gaps, eight year gaps between playing people. Yeah, for sure. And I uh, wanted to talk about the preseason, all ACC selections, uh, individual player wise, Nick Jackson garnering those honors for UVA. You think that sounds about right or were you surprised with any of those selections guys not not surprised by nick jackson one of the better returning linebackers in the acc now that's a competitive group there are a lot of good players in there but statistically he was really good last year his tackle rate just the eye test you know what i mean i think if you think of media watching virginia games nick jackson was noticeable so i think you know it makes sense that he would be on there he's the only one on there there's only only the first team there is no Second team, third team, honorable mention, like there is in the postseason. And that's a list dominated, uh, stop me if you've heard this before, by Clemson players. So <laughs> if, if you're wondering, yeah, Clemson is expected to be good again. They are the runaway favorite in the preseason poll. But if you look on the all-ACC team, three of the four defensive linemen, for example, are Clemson players. When there's only one team and you have, in terms of the preseason all-ACC team, and you have one program that is dominating the league like, like Clemson has as of late, they take up a lot of the spots. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, what else? Realignment? You guys want to get into that in this segment? or uh, <laughs> that? What are, what are your thoughts here about this Texas and Oklahoma situation? It sounds like it's going to take a few years to really take effect, potentially, with the TV contracts and everything. But you know, some of the commentators are already jumping the gun and they've got the Big 12 dissolving and which teams from the Big 12 might join the ACC. Jay Billis has already come out and said ACC needs to join in forces with the SEC and it's getting a little silly and at this point. But uh, Chris Horn, what, what do you make of, I guess West Virginia would probably be the most likely if any of those Big 12 teams come to the ACC. But I mean, it's almost, uh, it's just the Wild West, I guess. Yeah, I think that's that's it. It's hard to hard to see what direction. I think it's you know we're I think the ACC is going to stay in pat for a little bit and kind of you know take its time and, and go from there. You know, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people wish Notre Dame would come fully into the ACC. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So you know, we'll see. I still think you know even with you know Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC, which you know you got to think that this is probably something they've been talking about for a while, and you know it's not just happening. Uh, in the last two weeks the ACC to me still is you know the premier basketball conference but you know obviously football is is so huge but um so that's something uh for the ACC and then you know I'm, I, as far as what direction they go to um yeah the, I, I have no <laughs> no clue there are a lot of interesting options as you mentioned Jeff but it's it's it'll be interesting to see what direction what direction it goes uh, goes into. I think a lot depends on the Big Twelve. Are they going to try to add on from like uh, like like a Houston and the SMU and, and things like that? Are they going to try to salvage their conference or or as you mentioned, does it just dissolve and other conferences, big major conferences, come in and, and try to pick off certain teams? So I think I've heard you know Oklahoma State, West Virginia. This is just you know from. Uh, random uh, television uh, commentators, um, yeah, Oklahoma State, West Virginia. Yeah, that's interesting. That yeah, West Virginia seems like from a geographical standpoint, like it like it's a fit. But yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It kind of didn't definitely didn't have this on my radar or something that we're going to have to discuss for a while. But it's it's here again. Well, and Chris Wright, you know, you guys are so good at putting things in a historical context for for whose fans regardless of where you come into this uh, historically as a fan, maybe you're 
on the newer end of the spectrum or, or you've been around a while, would you guys be sad to see the ACC go if it comes to that and, and it just becomes kind of every team is their own conference in some ways? I mean, Notre Dame certainly has been like that for years. And, <laughs> but is there any kind of emotional attachment for uh, the conference concept or was that just an NCAA thing that, you know, I don't know. To me, this is the interesting part about all of it. It's expanding because of TV dollars. And in part because of, of cable subscribers, it's built into their bundle. There's all these, the, that sort of piece to it. There is the ratings piece to it, right? How many eyeballs from a given market. And then there's kind of like the fan attachment piece of it. And the fan attachment piece is what drives the ratings and the <laughs> cable subscriptions piece, right? So I think you saw it already with the first round of conference expansion, that there is at least some nostalgia there for, you know, you don't play teams, right? Like until Virginia played Clemson in these back-to-back years, they hadn't played Clemson in like six years. You know, NC State last year hadn't played them in a bunch of years. Right now, we've hit like a little three or four-year cycle in in part because of, of COVID expanding it to 10 conference games where you've seen most of these teams recently. That wasn't the case there for a while. And I do, I do wonder about eyeballs. Nobody really wants to watch Virginia Boston College, right? The bigger you make these conferences, the the more those outliers happen. Are you really excited to watch Texas Vanderbilt? Right. No. If it's just about the marquee names, how many marquee names are there really? Yeah. You know, and, and you've seen that proposal thrown out there on social media as well. Somebody was citing rumors that the SEC is trying to get to 20 and are going to go after Michigan, Ohio State, Clemson, and I forget who the fourth was, maybe Florida State or whatever, to try to get a 20-team Super League and get all the, the brand names together. Well, I said that back when they brought in Pitt, Syracuse, and et cetera in 2014. Why don't, if this is about football, why don't the big boys just create the Great American Football Conference? And that's sort of what the SEC seems like they're maybe trying to do. So I, I wonder if it becomes football only. I wonder as cord-cutting streaming services, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, right now, a la carte buying isn't really there where you can buy one game. If there's seven streaming services, at what point, like, can you not pick up every streaming service to see college? So there's all these moving parts. And then football itself, you know, CTE, youth participation numbers, all of that sort of stuff. You know, it's really hard to project where this is going to go. So do they expand and then eventually contract? <laughs> do, do they expand and make it a football only thing? And then maybe conferences can get back to, to being smaller regional things for other sports. Because I do think that's where nostalgia really kicks in. The old home and home round robin with basketball is something that fans miss. That is something that I noticeably miss. It's some, There's something more fun about... Duke gets you at camera, but they have to come to the to the JPJ, that sort of thing. I, I do think that part is missed. And, you know, in some ways, I think that applies to, to other sports as well. And then ACC, grant of rights through 20 of 36. The media rights are owned by the conference until 2036, unless they all agree to get out of it. So why, why would Wake, BC, Duke, Miami, you know, some of those teams that are smaller schools, why would they vote to get out of the grant of rights if, if it's going to leave their their athletic program out to dry? So it should be interesting to kind of follow what kind of moved all of this. O, OU Texas, their grant of rights, Big 12 runs out in 2025, I think. So they're just kind of announcing now, hey, we're, we're not signing after that. So will the Big 12 say, hey, well, you're here until 2025. If you want to go to the SEC before then, we're taking your money. Or do they dissolve? The Pac-12s is up soon, 2024, 20, 25, somewhere through there. And then Notre Dame's NBC contract is up through there. So that the TV part, there's some, some moving pieces as well. The SEC's new contract starts, I think, in 2024, but that they may have grounds for, for renegotiating by adding Oklahoma and Texas in 2025 if the Big 12 sticks it to them. So in other words, a lot of moving parts, right? Like how do you siphon through all of that? The fun thing to do is go, okay, these teams would be fun to put in this conference. Media alignments, Jay Billis, SEC, ACC should merge. Pac-12 ACC, could they merge in terms of a media agreement? Keep their mm -hmm. conferences separate, East Division, West Division, and then championship game. Like there's there's different ways to play this out. And it, it's going to be interesting, interesting to see how these other conferences, the non-SEC conferences, decide to go about it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think too, um, 
Chris Horn, my thoughts went with all this news and these headlines flying around in the past few days. Like I thought of a, a program like JMU, you know, the, the school itself is about the same student population as UVA. They've built a real pretty great culture of, of you know, national championship football on, on their designation. You know, my dad went to a small college in Illinois, Augustana College, Kenny Anderson, legendary NFL quarterback came out of there. That, that was division three, I guess they used to call it. I don't even know if that's still a thing, but like they had a great tradition of, it was such a huge thing. This small college in a small town in Illinois, like it revolved, that, that pretty much that whole university revolved around football. I'm not sure that's the case for JMU necessarily, but like there's something to be said for maybe it's not like football is going to go away. If only, if, you know, Alabama, Clemson and, and Ohio state decide to form their own conference. But what's your take on all, all of this stuff? It's just crazy. <laughs> I'm trying to digest. Uh, I think a partner there, Chris was pretty ready for that question. I'm trying to digest all that stuff. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess I've been just trying to keep it simple. Like what, 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 what would be cool? Like what teams would be cool to see come into the conference? So, you know, Penn state could be cool, kind of boost the football aspect, but you know, then you got the pit Penn state rivalry. And, um, and see, I still can't think of Penn state as a big 10 team. I just can't. Right. I grew up with Penn state being Penn state, you know, they didn't need a conference. <laughs> like, so yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, like Chris said, there's just so many options. Uh, you know, it's tough to tell exactly where this thing is going to go. And so I guess we're just kind of have to wait and see. Which you know, we just got finished with the whole name, image, likeness stuff. So it's kind of another curveball, I guess, and in turn into the uh, NCAA landscape. So yeah, these uh, conference commissioners have their work cut out for them. That's for sure. And it's like, welcome to the ACC. <laughs> I mean, I've thrown out a couple variations at the right time, I think. I mean, I threw out a couple variations on the message board for the ACC to be bold. And one would be to try to get to more than 20, get to 18, 20, 24, something like that. You go Baylor, Houston, TCU, Texas Tech, make that a Lone Star pod. Then maybe you go you know, Kansas, Notre Dame, if you can convince them, Cincinnati and somebody, kind of a Midwest pod, that would be adding eight teams to the 14. Now you're at 22, and then you can pick who the other random two are. But that would cover the Houston market, the Chicago market, the Kansas City, Missouri market. So you're starting to hit a lot of the top media markets with that approach, even though it may not immediately jumpstart your football brand, brand, whatever. The other one would be, the, well, like I said before, if you did like a coastal conference, Pacific Coast, Atlantic Coast, then you pull in USC, Stanford, et cetera. Could you then convince Notre Dame? Because they get that USC rivalry. They get chances to play in LA, New York. If you added a Texas school, Fort Worth, you know, uh, TCU, suddenly you're giving them that national branding that they need or crave. Yeah, so there are lots of lots of potential ways to play that out. But yeah, I missed the round robin basketball. I'm not I'm a basketball guy. But, but my question, Jeff, is your school moved. Your school's moved a lot. Missouri. Yeah, Mizzou. Yep. Do you feel an attachment to conferences the same way that maybe the ACC fans do? Nope. I mean, I still don't, you know, it's it's hard for me to wrap my mind around when the basketball team goes down to play at Mississippi or Mississippi State. And it it just doesn't feel like anything to me but sec they've created a, a behemoth with football they don't you know it's, it's all basketball concerns are secondary way down the line for them so it was tough to see us move there but you know there was a big move from the big eight when i was in college to the big 12 and at that time that you were adding the texas schools and it was huge monetarily but just because, you know, those schools need a conference to be a part of it. Was, that was just an almost like weird, <laughs> it was just such a blatant money grab, you know, that, uh, that we're kind of right back there in that place, I guess, when uh, teams were searching out, you know, new homes. So here we are and uh, we'll continue with uh, the Saber.com podcast. We got a whole lot more to get into, including basketball and more recruiting news next. It's your number one online source as a Virginia fan, thesaber.com. And into the second segment we go here on the saber.com podcast. Jeff Sweatman, your host, joined by Chris Wright and Chris Horn of thesaber.com. And to play off of what we were just talking about, guys, I uh, thought of how Mizzou is actually on the hunt now for a new athletic director. 
our AD is leaving us in the midst of all of this craziness. So that's always nice. But uh, I'm th thinking of throwing my hat in to the uh, ring there. So wish me luck. And uh, <laughs> I figure, you know, we're starting from scratch here in a lot of ways. Why not pick a guy who's completely unqualified? So, uh, but actually, you know, happened to, you know, at least attend the school and care for the school. Unlike the, the previous AD, I'm not sure, you know, he got into a little kerfuffle a few years back with Don Staley, you may recall, and ended up having to uh, pay some money to... Uh, <laughs> Is, uh, stuck his foot in his mouth a few too many times. But uh, anyway, I did think also of teams like Syracuse and Boston College joining up with the ACC, right? About what, 15 years ago, whenever they joined. And the pros and cons to that, you're getting into that Northeast corridor. You want the New York and Boston recruiting angle. I get all that, more money, more schools, everything. But, you know, you've gotten Syracuse and Jim Beheim and all that. Uh, that comes with that in terms of basketball, but then you get their terrible football program, Boston college, decent football program, but the terrible at basketball. So you're in some ways you're trying to expand the conference and bring in all this extra money and eyeballs and everything, but it's so hard because you're looking, you got to look at the bigger picture. Don't you? Are you bringing the, cause everybody kind of, I feel at this point is almost nationally mocking the, the quality of the ACC schedule for Clemson they they don't play anybody all year. And then everybody acts like, Oh, well, of course they're undefeated. That's just branding though. Like again, Vanderbilt, Arkansas and Mississippi state has been right. up and down. I mean, like every conference has bottom feeders and over time, you know what I mean? Like so Syracuse what three years ago was 10 and two or something crazy like that. In football, yeah, I guess. All right. See, you always can prove me wrong. The, the biggest part is like facts. The, the biggest deal right now for the ACC is that the ESPN Comcast agreement is up. And now the ACC has leverage. Comcast was not going to add the ACC network last year with the, they, they didn't want to change this and bundle that. And all, but now the, the agreement is up. So ESPN can go, either you take the ACC network or we're pulling, you know, for, from Comcast period. They could, they could threaten to pull all of their properties. And that, in turn, could bump ACC revenue up, right? So the ACC is in a spot right now where I don't think they'll be jumping anywhere quickly. If, if they were to make moves, it would be into markets they don't currently have. So that would be Cincinnati potentially or I guess even Ohio University, although I doubt it, but, you know, that would be the Ohio areas. And then you have to start looking at others, right? So Tennessee, is there anyone in the Tennessee area? Is there anyone in the closer to Notre Dame area that could get you eyeballs, you know, cable eyeballs? And again, cord cutting, yeah, we'll, we'll see where all that goes. But all of this is cyclical with the exception of Alabama's really good, Clemson's really good, Ohio State's really good. Right. Isn't that, isn't that it? Those three are in the playoff every year. Notre Dame sometimes big 12 once in a blue moon Pac 12, nope. maybe. Yeah. Really. There's only three constants in college football right now. And it's that those three teams are going to be in the playoff with some random interloper until the, uh, until the, till the playoff expands. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, let's uh, move on to basketball guys. I know you're excited to talk a little recruiting and uh, with the NBA draft this week. And it looks like, Trey Murphy the third, he's keeps moving up the the ranks. Didn't get invited to the green room, I guess, which is where the surefire lottery picks usually end up. So, but he, he sounds like he's right on that cusp of um, the outer reaches of the lottery, maybe a top twenty type of pick. So, that's been exciting. We we've talked some about him. You know, the, there's guys like uh, Poppy Cafaro and and Mike Toby playing in the Olympics now. So it's awesome to see those guys getting a little uh, summertime action and publicity. So we'll talk to uh, Chris Horn in a moment about the recruiting front, but uh, Chris Wright, let's throw it to you first for uh, Trey Murphy expectations uh, this week at the draft. Let me first say I was wrong. <laughs> so we started talking about this back mid spring onward. And I said, the question at the time that he had to figure out is his second contract, meaning early second round. And I said at the time, I didn't think coming back for a year would get him into lottery territory. So I was wrong. The He's in lottery territory now. And if that was the feedback he was getting, then he there is no decision. He's about to make a whole lot of guaranteed money for the next two, three to five years. So 
let me just start there. I was wrong. I didn't think he was capable of getting to lottery territory, even with an extra year. And right now he's on the fringe of where a team late in the lottery might take that gamble and, and roll with it because he does fit with the NBA craves right now, which is wingspan that can switch defensively and can shoot the basketball. And he can do both of those things. I'm at the point now that I'll be shocked if he's still on the board at 24. You know, that that's in the Ty Jerome, Justin Anderson territory that we have started seeing him creep into. And I still think that might be where the sweet spot is that, you know, 15, 16, 17, right after the lottery to early twenties. But if you look at the draft order, Oklahoma city has two picks through there. New York Knicks have two picks through there. And then Houston has 23 and 24 back to back. All three of those teams need players, particularly players that can shoot. And then you throw Atlanta at 20. He kind of fits the mold on, on what, those kind of playoff or fringe playoff teams like in their players as well. So I'll be shocked if he makes it all the way through all of those teams, particularly the ones with multiple picks and isn't selected. So I'm thinking 24 is now kind of the floor. And before I was thinking it was 35 to 40. So he's bumped himself up a good 10 spots, no matter what, but there's the potential there that, that he could get all the way up to late lottery with a team like golden state or San Antonio, Indiana's in there. Washington um, that, 15 maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Washington's right outside the lottery at 15. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. There's rumors of trades happening, obviously, so that could always impact things as well. But I just wanted to come right out and say I was wrong. He's risen Cam Johnson style in this draft. And obviously the Suns made the NBA Finals. Cam Johnson was getting a lot of airtime during that playoff run. Not necessarily airtime on TV, he was getting that, but airtime with scouts and GMs going, wow, Phoenix took a chance on this Cam Johnson kid. He ended up being a lottery pick for Phoenix that people were like, oh, that's a little bit. Yeah, a little bit high. That's a meteoric rise. But then you watch it and, he, and he's a contributor on a finals team. That may be helping uh, Trey Murphy as well, because there are not a lot of six, nine prospects or six, seven, it, you know, shoes off type of thing, but seven foot wingspan that can shoot the three at above 40% coming out of college. It's easy to see why, why he's risen. And I think he's going to land in that, that territory somewhere, the teens or early twenties. Well, and this from, you know, the stuff that I've read, it, it sounds like this is a, it's not like this is a light draft in terms of talent. There seems to be a, a ton of guys and, and a pretty high quality uh, number of guys this year. Cause you look back, you know, 10, 15 years later at some, some of the drafts, it's kind of like, Oh, wow. <laughs> Only one or two of these guys are still around in the league. So Chris Horn is the, the lawnmower guy still there. Uh, uh, he's gone for the moment so okay, yeah. quick <laughs> <laughs> quickly now I, I was wrong as well I mean when when Trey first declared I was kind of scratching my head you know admittedly and but yeah clearly uh, I mean obviously the NBA game is is different from the college game but I think uh yeah I mean I, I think Trey is obviously having a great uh great offseason for himself and is is you know, worked his way into the uh, solidly. It seems like solidly in the first round. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, he he's gotten definitely a lot of lot of buzz. So you you know, I always think about like the NFL draft and how you know certain guy like you know could some of it be smoked. But I think like Chris said, I think he seems pretty solidly in the first round, which is awesome. So that's just kind of another guy that Virginia can point to and say, hey, we helped get him to the uh, you know first round of the NBA draft. Which obviously, I think that's a nice recruiting tool to have. So yeah, definitely great for him. And I'm just uh, excited to see where he's going to end up. Yeah, the, the new drama is, does he make it to the tail end of the lottery? And does Sam Hauser sneak into Kyle Guy territory, meaning fifties, because he's starting to pop up on some, not all, but some kind of rumor mill type of things as a potential. And again, he has a skill the same as Murphy. He's just not as long and as athletic, but he can flat out shoot it. And <laughs> teams need shooting more than, than ever in the NBA. Yeah, for sure. And um, guys, too, when it comes to thinking about Murphy, I think UVA fans, we feel like, you know, there's a sense I get from the posts I've seen. We, in some ways, wanted him back just for our own selfish reasons of, of seeing an exciting player and knowing we need maybe a little bit of that scoring punch for this upcoming season. But you know, you think about it, he played two full years at Rice before he even got here. We thought he was going to be, we all thought he was probably going to redshirt you know and not you know if he didn't have that last minute approval of it of his waiver or whatever right he he wouldn't even have played <laughs> at all last year and for him to be kind of thrown in at the last minute into the mix and for him to gel with those other guys you already had pretty well established personalities you know with Kihei and Huff and Hauser had already been here for a year even though you know so he was chomping at the bit to play so 
you know, some of those things throughout the season, I think that people looked back and maybe were a little nitpicky with, with Trey's game, like, man, I can see where he really put on a show, you know, this summer when you're just looking at his individual skill set and, and how some of these NBA teams can use him. So I, I'm just super happy for the guy. And, uh, and like you said, Chris Horn, man, you know, Tony Bennett's going to make some big time hay out of that on the <laughs> recruiting trail, right? Which yeah. he probably already has, right? It, some of the news you've gotten uh, this summer about some of the offers going out. Yeah, I mean, they definitely have some some offers going out, but in, in, uh, get to that in a second. But yeah, I think that definitely does not hurt as far as being able to pitch to a prospect. Obviously, the NBA is such a is the goal. So, um, and yeah, Trey's an interesting guy. I don't think when he came to Virginia, he was. I don't even know how much NBA was. Yeah, it's on everybody's radar, but I don't know if he was coming in thinking because he was coming in hoping to redshirt. That was what he wanted to do, to come into redshirt, to build up his body under Mike Curtis, and then, you know, worked out to where he could play, and they decided to go ahead and play. And, uh, you know, so and I don't think even the coaches necessarily thought that after the season he was going to be – I think they were going to have him. They thought they were going to have him for two seasons. But, uh, but again, I think it's a positive uh, – all the way around. And, you know, I kind of like, I think, uh, you know, it is for me, it's going to be exciting this coming season. There's not a lot of knowns, but I, I'm excited about the unknown guys and what they're going to be able to do and see what they're going to be able to do. They're going to have the chance to come out, uh, you know, like the Carson McCorkles, Tane Murray, uh, uh, you know, Caden Shedrick, uh, you know, obviously hopefully he can stay healthy. A lot of the guys that as a guy who covers recruiting, I, we, you know, as soon as they commit, people love, you know, are super excited about them. But then once they get on campus, it seems like people kind of forget about them until they start, you know, <laughs> uh, with the, the big contributions. But um, I'm excited to see what uh, what some of these guys who we uh, didn't maybe ha- haven't had the chance yet, see where, where they're going to go and, and how they're going to be able to develop this coming season. But yeah, as far as basketball recruiting, it's been it's been an exciting summer. I mean, Virginia still has the one commitment um, in the class 2022 from Isaac McNeely, who's currently at the NBPA Top 100 camp, which Chris and I are used to covering in Charlottesville, but that's now moved to uh, Orlando. Unfortunately, we can't be in Orlando right now. But um, uh, so, but he's had a, he's had a good you know good off season in terms of AAU, and he definitely was kind of a. Uh, a Twitter sensation there for his performance against LeBron James's son. Their respective AAU teams competed at, uh, I believe it's like LeBron James Arena or something like that at uh, LeBron James's high school. And Isaac hit like three threes or, or fourth straight threes to to help his uh, Wildcats select team get the win. And uh, so played well there, played well on the Adidas AAU circuit, scored like 32 points in one of those games. So I think... It, kind of like Chris often mentions, like, you know, you have to see the full game to really get the actual evaluation and the aspect. But I think it's good to see being able to step up in a moment, like playing LeBron James's son's team with LeBron James right there in front of you. And like, it was a raucous atmosphere and being able to step up and make three threes or four threes or whatever he did to close out the game and uh, to help his team win. I think that shows guts. So uh, that's a that's a good sign as far as I'm concerned. And then, you know, Isaac Trout, uh, who we've talked about, he's a 6'9", skilled forward out of Nebraska, uh, rising senior. He's still very much Virginia's top remaining uncommitted player. You know, Tony Bennett uh, said he was going to watch him during the AU season, and he, he wasn't kidding. He was – it was either Tony Bennett or at least an assistant there for most, if not all, of Isaac's games. So I think – obviously, Virginia fans, I think, are chomping at the bit, hoping he would commit soon. He's still, you know, waiting a little bit. I think he wants to see what – you know, if some other schools that he's interested in, like a Gonzaga, maybe uh, if they come through with a scholarship offer, maybe take a couple more visits – uh, but he's he's talking about now making a decision in the fall, which I think is is a plus for Virginia that he's more definitive on that. So yeah, he's in there. But UVA has offered you know several kind of wing combo forward type you know hybrid prospects, kind of multi positional players, um, and we'll see where the recruitments go with that. And then and then they're starting up with class 2023. So I mean, a typical recruiting cycle, this would be kind of when they're really focusing on the next class. So um, typically the class 2022 would be, you know, maybe almost completed, maybe winding down, but with COVID that kind of threw everything kind of in a loop. So now they're really starting into, you know, also recruiting the, the rising junior class. So they have an offer out to Oak Hill Academy point guard, uh, Caleb Foster and uh, Reed Shepard um, uh, out of Kentucky. His, his father played for Kentucky. So 
many people think he's going to go to Kentucky, but uh, but UVA has seems to have impressed him and and uh, has has now offered him a scholarship as well. So lots of news. Yeah, we're just waiting to see as far as who they can add to uh, to go along with McNeely in that class 2022. That'll be uh, you know obviously it's an important class um, uh, to try to fill like five scholarships or something that they have available. Any insights there on the recruiting trail? Chris Wright, I was going to make a mention of a, a football recruit too, but before we move on from basketball. Yeah, the biggest insight is I whatever the Isaac McNeely it thing is, he seems to have it, you know, and that's just from highlights and the way he kind of blew up, you know what I mean? Like his state tournament run, hit a couple of huge threes to keep his team alive. And then in this AAU game, hit a couple of big threes late in the game. He seems to have that, that flair, <laughs> Um, that Virginia fans love so much with Kyle Guy and, and Ty Jerome. He, he seems to be at least in the same clothing store, if not the same cloth. <laughs> he seems to be uh, <laughs> that type. And now he's on, he's doing the Kyle Guy thing where he's recruiting left and right. He's constantly like chiming in on, on Isaac Trout and Isaac Squared and all that. And now that here they are, they were on the official visit at Virginia together at the same time. Now they're at top 100 camp at the same time. So, you know, he's working on him uh, uh, while they're together. Hey, man, come on. Come on. Yeah. And that, I was thinking about that. It's got to be, you know, for these guys to try and forge some kind of normal friendship, you know, I mean, you got to kind of click with somebody personality wise. And um, even there was something tied to Rome recently. I, I don't know if it was on Twitter or Instagram or what, but there, he made a reference to like, he thanked or, or he talked about some of the you know, former players that he still regularly talks to. He, he didn't mention Kyle Guy, <laughs> which I thought was funny. So you could tell there was a little, you know, that guys just are friends with who they're friends with. And, you know, when you're in recruiting mode like that, it's you really, I'm sure he's trying to, you know, put the full court press on, like impressing him as much as he can on how great EVA is. So that, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I think well, those guys were uh, the, the two Isaacs were friends before, kind of before, you know. Obviously, Isaac McNeely's from West Virginia, so and Isaac uh, Isaac Trout's from uh, Nebraska, so yeah. I don't think they were close, close friends, but they were kind of friends before uh, Virginia. You know, the whole Virginia Isaac Square thing has. Uh -huh. So I think that helps too. You yeah, know, yeah. You're kind of already friendly with a guy, and you can kind of you know, kind of playful. I'm sure he's not like every day, you know, I'm sure he's not making up shirts and hats and stuff like that. And, you know, really uh, <laughs> trying to scare him off or anything like that. But, <laughs> but, but again, I mean, UVA is really doing all they can to, uh, to try to land Isaac Trout. And um, I know some fans are worried that, you know, why hasn't he committed? Cause he did, he obviously he took an official visit to Virginia um, in June, along with Michigan State, North Carolina, Nebraska, and Creighton. He visited all five of those schools. But again, I think, you know, you got to remember with, with this class, you know, they were basically robbed of a whole year of kind of visits and kind of going through the cycle because of COVID. So he's really getting a chance now to get out and, and see schools. And again, so, you know, while obviously that presents the chance that, hey, Gonzaga offers, he goes there, loves it, and commits there. I mean, that's, you know, not far-fetched. But um, but still, Virginia is doing everything they can to to let him know that to to make him make it harder for him to certainly say no. And it it seemed like he had a great official visit uh, to Virginia, and then you know, so we'll it'll be interesting to see what happens. Like you know, if if some of these schools that he's waiting on maybe offering, you know, don't offer kind of through August, and they want to wait longer, maybe maybe he goes ahead and makes his decision. So, but I, again, I still like Virginia's position, and he's clearly one of the top targets. And then. Again, outside of that, they've offered some kind of, you know, some more athletic uh, wing prospects. Uh, you know, they just offered a, a player named Ryan Dunn, who's a 6'6 wing, who's kind of interesting. He's kind of an all-around type of guy, can can cover multiple positions. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Trey Murphy in the sense that he's he's got a really good-looking shot, um, outside shot, uh, just can, can kind of do a whole bunch of uh, – whole bunch of different things so yeah a lot a lot of guys to watch out for Leon Bond is a, a kid out of Wisconsin who's 6'6 really athletic I like his energy that he's shown and he may commit pretty soon between uh, Marquette Virginia and uh, Cincinnati and I think Texas A&M offered him as well pretty recently he he's, has said he wanted to commit end of July early August so he could be a name uh, name to watch as well uh, as far as possibly going uh, you know Virginia picking up at their uh, second commitment of the class. There's always got to be a Wisconsin guy, right? 
in the yeah. mix. <laughs> or a lefty. Yeah. It seems like Wisconsin guys are left-handers. Rich Bennett seems partial to those guys. Very good. Well, thanks for the rundown. And I'm intrigued by this uh, Lenoris Sellers. Uh, as far as uh, quarterback committing, he's still got two years left in high school, right, in South Carolina? Yes. Oh, but, man, just – you know, I'm trying not to get sucked in too much. You guys have warned me about the highlight reel, but man, this guy, wow. He's only been in high school two years. He looks pretty good. Yeah. And he had an offer from uh, Virginia tech, which I think Virginia fans always, always like to see that to get a commitment from a guy who also has Virginia tech in there. Yeah. Really. And really great kid to talk to. Um, uh, he's about six, three, 215 pounds. I talked to his coach. His coach said that, you know, from a physical standpoint, he's added 15 pounds of muscle and he's so much stronger than he was at the end of the 2020 season. So he's really anxious to see how he's going to play this coming year. It feels like it could really be a, a real breakout year for him. So it'll be interesting if Clemson and, you know, South Carolina start to call, come calling or something like that. You hope that, you know, we'll see. But he seems, again, he's real, really great academic kid, 4.87. GPA uh, likes UVA's engineering program and uh, feels the offense is a, is a really good fit for him. So for, for Virginia, just kind of adding that succession planning. They said, the, you know, they're trying to add a quarterback in each class. They had two actually and in, two incoming freshmen with Jacob Rodriguez and, and Jay Wolfolk um, uh, on the roster and then Ira Armstead. So obviously you hope those guys can develop behind Brennan Armstrong and then just keep you know, keep pumping them in, plugging them in, uh, like kind of back in the George Welsh days, kind of just one guy goes through, does well, another guy's ready to kind of step up and have a pretty solid season. So, yeah, this guy, you know, definitely the fans are excited about him. He looks like he's got a real nice zip on the ball. And, of course, he's got those quarterback traits, the uh, um, the running ability and, and, and the passing uh, potential as well. So, yeah, it looks like a really good start uh, for the 2023. And it was a nice way to end last week because UVA had missed out on some of the uh, – the rising senior prospects uh, like Fisher Anderson, who's a top offensive tackle committed to Stanford, uh, Damon Claiborne out of Virginia, who's a real fast all-purpose running back, who I think would have been a big, uh, big boost to the offense committed to uh, Wake Forest. So Virginia had missed a few guys, um, but, you know, closed the week with their first uh, 2023 guy. Um, so, and he, as you mentioned, Jeff, he seems like a pretty promising prospect. Just one thing from the quarterback recruiting standpoint, they have, you, you see kind of the line of one per year that has been set up here, right? And that is one thing that Sellers mentioned to Chris is that they only take one quarterback per year and he wanted to go ahead and when it felt like the right spot, take that. With that said, it's two years before he can sign anything. So if he feels pressure that they only take one quarterback and he jumps on that, you know, you're reserving your spot, so to speak. So we'll see what, how all this plays out if he were to blow up, you know, in, in a variety of ways. I'm not saying he's, he's not committed. He is committed, but following how recruiting works, it's two years from now. We'll see more important to me is the quarterback succession line. Like I say, I don't really follow recruiting that close. I follow it enough to know how it impacts the long term. And Virginia has set up with, you know, Arm, Armstead, Rodriguez. Is it Davis Lane? Davis Lane. Yeah. Right. And then, the class after that. So you've got the line of succession. That's pretty clear who they've taken one per class. He seems to be the next in line, but it's so far off. You're going, okay, well, you're the next in line, but I mean, will will the ACC even exist in 2025? Right. I mean, it's so hard to really get a feel for, for how far out that really is. Yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's true. It kind of reminds me of uh, like Kihei Clark and then like, it seems like, you, you know, you want him to be good and keep progressing, but not maybe too good <laughs> to where like, you know, say like Clemson comes, comes calling like, you know, with Kihei, coach Bennett no, noticed him with his standout performance at the peach jam, peach jam. And uh, you know, so unfortunately for um, man, where was he committed? UC Davis. Yeah. Unfortunately for UC Davis, he ended up, you know, getting that Virginia offer. So yeah. Um, yeah, so that can happen. I was watching Peach Jam this past week and yeah, one of the players who's committed to like St. Louis uh, was going off. And I'm wondering like in the back of my head, like is the St. Louis coach like going, all right, he's, he's up, man. Don't, don't, not, not too good yeah. <laughs> right yeah. now. But, but yeah, but to Chris's point, that's uh, definitely uh, something to think about going, moving forward. But assuming it follows through, you know, UVA seems like they have a lot of, promising talented guys in the pipeline that they can develop and keep, keep moving up. 
one with going back to Isaac Trout too, with a program like Creighton that has had some pros is pretty solid, you know, basketball program year in, year out being right in his backyard. Is that one of the first questions you usually ask the recruits is like, how excited are you to move halfway across the country away from your family? You know, I mean, that, it seems like a lot of guys that would be a big, you know, thing. They want their family to be able to see them play. Yeah, and all and that. With, yeah definitely location. You, you try, I mean, a lot of times you get a standard answer like, oh, that's no problem whatsoever. And then, you know, because they don't want to give too much away. But, right. um, you know, I think certainly fa- uh, from what I can, you know, talking to Isaac Trout, I mean, you know, family, you know, like with most guys is, is definitely important to them. And, you know, I could see definitely the draw of playing in front of the, of, in front of his family um, at either Nebraska or, or even a Creighton. Um, but I wonder, you know, with the, the, the one now with the, the one year transfer or the, the immediate eligibility with the transfer uh, rule, if that could help maybe guys say, Hey, I could take a chance, go out, go out and see what, it, you know, see what it's like. I'm playing under say, you know, coach Bennett, one of the best programs. If I love it, great, stick with it, but I can always transfer back and be ready to play the following year. So I'm, I wonder if that's going to help a lot of guys as far as with, you know, the potential d- distance factor. Yeah, it's a good point. Well, we uh, will try to make one final good point or two in the last segment. Coming up, we'll uh, rattle some sabers or something. <laughs> Take you back to the uh, early 80s days of UVA football. That's not a good tease at all, is it? <laughs> Nobody's going to want to hear about that era. But no, it all ties into where we are right now, I think, next year on the Saber.com podcast. The Front Porch is a nonprofit roots music organization, and we uh, connect everyone through music. I like the way that the Front Porch encourages people to to sort of engage with their community and sort of enlarge the community. Everybody is included, and that's really what the word community is about. You know, making sure that everybody has their chance to have a good time and and participate and add something. All right, welcome back to the final segment of the Saber.com podcast, season two. We got picked up for another season. Hey, all right. <laughs> the, uh, the turning the table segment, the Saber rattle, Rattler segment. Basically, it's a chance for Jeff to say get off his lawn uh, or, or something along those lines <laughs> or to be nostalgic or really just hot topics is really what it boils down yeah, to. Yeah. So a hot topic right now, obviously, conference realignment. We've talked about it in this episode and rivalries and do you lose rivalries nebraska oklahoma for example when nebraska went to the big 10 lost that when missouri left they you know so rivalries texas a&m texas may be rejoining the rivalry rivalries are often at kind of the fan core of of musical chairs you know you worry about rivalry things well that led you into a virginia virginia tech game from 1982 i believe you said yeah, that you were talking to someone and it caught their eye for an odd reason. And then it led you down a rabbit hole. Yeah. So this good college friend of mine, he, even though his line of work has nothing to do with music or sports, he's still very attuned to both of those things. So he and I have, have stayed in touch over the years and um, he's out working at Gonzaga now and in their library departments or something. And, and he happened to point out to me the other day, we were, we were talking back and forth messaging about this game that he happened to see in, I think his dad may have been working in Richmond or they were living in Richmond at the time, but University of Richmond versus Virginia Tech in 82 when Bruce Smith was playing for Tech. And I was like, well, they probably, you know, killed Richmond, didn't they? And it was actually a close game. I can't remember the final score, but we were looking back through the Wikipedia of that year when it came to the, you know, who's and Hokies and UVA I think was two and 10 in 82. But that game was a close game, Tech won. But we thought it was interesting. The crowd at Scott Stadium was only like 25,000 or something. And we thought, why would that be? I thought, well, maybe it was cold, you know, super cold or something. UVA was bad that year, whatever. And sure enough, it was a game that Ted Turner, in the early days of TBS, he offered like 800 and some thousand dollars to both Virginia Tech and UVA to put that game on Thursday night, Thanksgiving night. And it turned out to be a freezing cold night. So it was a combination of factors. Like it was the holiday itself and it was cold and maybe a little bit that UVA was bad, but I think it was 21, 14 was the final tech one. And it just got me thinking of like, wait, what conference was tech in back then? And they've been in the big East and now they're in the ACC. And it's, it is like you say, Chris, just 
we're losing some of those rivalries. I've ranted about that in, in previous episodes here on the podcast about, you know, these super duper conferences and maybe we should just get back to the way it was and more regionalism and go smaller. And obviously I was way off on that, but uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Cause I did see on Twitter, there was somebody who had put together this whole alignment of like, eight different 10 team divisions and they were all, none of it was named like SEC, ACC, big 10, whatever. Cause some of those numbers we've talked about in the past are ridiculous now where the, the big 10 doesn't have 10 teams. The big 12 doesn't have 12 teams. I mean, it's like, it's so ridiculous, but when it comes down to it, if you do want more eyeballs and you want those rivalries, that's what really gets stokes the fan passion. Like let's get back to those, you know, where you're, you're playing your actual rivals instead of a school that's halfway across the country that your fans don't care about the TV audience doesn't care about. And it's just part of a package that can be, you know, boost a a conference because as we've seen, it's something like an entity like the NCAA, when you get right down to it, not exactly sure what their purpose was. They were enforcing rules that it turned out should probably not have been rules in the first place. So it just kind of gets back to that whole thing of, of who are your true rivals? Who, who do you really want to be playing? And, you know, maybe we do cut back on a game during the course of the regular season to where we can have a more expanded playoff and make more teams feel more included in a more important postseason than the, you know, increasingly ridiculous bowl season where, you know, all you have to do is win six games. Don't even necessarily have to have a winning record. (laughs) You end up playing some team that no one cares about. Your fan base doesn't travel to the game. It ends up being nobody watches it on TV. I mean, so you may watch Missouri, Florida. I'm not watching Missouri, Florida. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I do pine for those days of the old big eight. And, uh, you know, looking back at that, when, when I was at Mizzou, the, we actually ran the table, undefeated conference season. It started off by playing Arkansas, who was a regional rival, but not in the same conference. It was a non-conference game to start the season. We lost by like 60. <laughs> Went on to go undefeated in the conference, ended up almost making the final four, lost in the Elite Eight. But man, what a great year that was because you got to play all your other seven real regional rivals two times you know they came to your place you went to their place and that just ratcheted up the interest and the the fan excitement i feel like you know even when you're having a down year you still get that chance you know to face duke gets to come here you know and face us they don't get to hide in their you know own arena (laughs) every every year like it seems like they do so this rabbit hole take on things yeah right this rabbit hole was interesting because we're, we're on the younger end. So 1982, I was four years old. I don't, I clearly don't remember that Virginia, Virginia tech game. And I don't think I've ever seen it. Although sometimes you can go back and watch old games, but we're curious what fans on the message board, because the age range is all over the place. Do you remember the 1982 game? Did you remember that it was on Thanksgiving night? Did you know anything about the Ted Turner TBS connection to it? So we're going to throw that out on the message board. But 1982, George Welsh's first season at Virginia. That's the other reason that that is of interest. And you get a lot of George Welsh, Bronco Mendenhall kind of comparisons because the trajectory was similar. Two and nine and 82, like you mentioned, but then six and five, eight and two, right? So on on the upswing and then a backslide, three and eight in 1986. Well, is last year's five and five similar to that? And then coming out of that, obviously, they would win seven games every year for whatever it was, 14, 15 years in a row after that backslide season. So when you look at Bronco Mendenhall, George Welsh, and you look at comparisons, and they have a similar vibe with how they run their program, like a, a no-nonsense kind of, you know, get off my lawn, fits the segment vibe. Is this similar? Was last year's five and five the backslide, and now we see consistency, the sustainability window um, that's in the 50 thought series, uh, that, that, you know, we're doing as a summer reading series. So yeah, it's, uh, it all kind of ties together, but it was interesting that that just happened on your radar with a random friend of yours, the 1982 season, yeah, Thanksgiving night. So we're going to throw all of that stuff, um, out there and just see what, see what fans think. Well, and I, I 
throughout that outgrow to now statistic earlier where, you know, getting to that five win mark has only happened five times in the past 20 years. And three of those were under grow. I also found that George Welsh won five plus ACC games, 12 times in 19, in 19 years, eight in a row from 93 to 2000. You guys probably already knew all that, but I figured you'd be proud of me for looking it up. <laughs> yeah. And there, that, that's why, you know, George Welsh way and his bust is in the stadium. And yes, uh, yes. the old salt is still uh the goat of Virginia football coaching. Uh, Mendenhall has not caught him yet, and he's got a long ways to go to catch the goat. So hopefully he makes a run at it, though. That's what we want. Yep. Uh, until next time, thanks for listening.